and welcome to From the Rooker Inn, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, it is another one of our Watford in 100 Objects specials. Uh, we are reliving this list that we started about mm, eight, nine years ago. We, we, we didn't quite get to 100. We got to about 70, uh, but we're going to revisit that 70 before we finish off this list. So you need to be paying attention and uh, you need to see if there's any objects that you think you should be putting into this list of 100 objects that define Watford Football Club. With me this evening is Mike. Mooney, Mooney. It's almost as if we planned it, isn't it? We, we waited, we paused the project until we had a bit of time to, to play with and here we are. So uh, yes, hello John. And Jason. Good evening. And we are going to go through another 10 objects from our list. They vary of historic ones to do with footballers, personal objects for you as a football fan. And we're actually going to finish the podcast with an interview with our, our great mate, Nick Cox, the former head of academy at Watford, who has been on the podcast several times. And uh, we thought, hey, with our 10th anniversary coming up, let's get him on one more time. But let's start. Object 21. Great moments and profiles of the star players. With this double-sized part one, you get the binder free and five packs of stickers to get you started. World Cup 90. I'd watch out for it if I were you. And I did watch out for that. Mike, were you a, a sticker collector of World Cup 90? You're talking about the big Orbis oh, folder thing, aren't Yes, we? the one I still With, have in my shed, yes. I had it, and much... i say this before, but over the last sort of month or so, I've been, been going through some of my memorabilia and getting it sorted... To my horror, <laughs> I think I've chucked mine away. Uh, Jason, did you collect stickers? I did. I was very much a Panini fan. Okay. I've still got my uh, early 80s collections downstairs. I, I still look at them every so often when I'm feeling nostalgic. Did you ever complete a collection? No, my pocket money didn't quite stretch that far, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I saw this wonderful uh, tweet. I can't remember who it's by or, or where it, it sort of came from. And it was of a girl who went on eBay and went across the internet and found the stickers to finish her dad's collection of Panini 1979, the year that I was born. Uh, and it, it seemed like this wonderful thing to finally finish his collection. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder where my World Cup 90 uh, binder, it's not an album, it's a binder. Um, and I went out to the shed, I found it, and I went, oh, I think I completed this. No, I haven't completed it. Oh, okay. Well, and I looked through <laughs> it, I did England, I did Argentina, I did, I did Italy, I did all the big countries, I completed all those. But when you start getting to the UAE and uh, South Korea, I clearly hadn't been bothered because... I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I could do the same. Maybe I could complete my collection. I wonder how many I've got left to collect. 113. And if they sort of go <laughs> about a pound each, uh, or a little bit more in some cases, on eBay, there's no way I'm spending 250 quid. I think there's more magic around a non-completed album anyway, John. I think it means more not, not completed. It's got more mystique about it. You keep it as it is, man. OK, well, there's only one player. Uh, Carlos Valderrama is the only sort of big player I didn't get in the collection. Everybody else, I haven't got a clue. I don't even even know if they played in the actual final tournament because these things were, were, were printed so far ahead. But the amazing thing, as you say, about that, it was a sicker album. Album, but also it was a, a magazine that came out and there's classic World Cup goals, classic World Cup games uh, and the history of the World Cup basically all in this binder. That's why I've, I've always kept it. None of my other my sicker albums I have. But Mike, we're not we're not putting this in. There weren't any Watford players in this list. What are we putting in? Yeah, we had to put a sticker album in of sorts. And you mentioned the brand name at the top there, John Panini. That's the that's the sort of brand that you think of when you think stickers. But that would be far too obvious for, for this list, wouldn't it? So we have to offer our thanks to uh, Rod Fine, who who sent in this suggestion. And it's they don't it's not even called a, a, st a sticker album. It's called a picture stamp album. <laughs> and it is the wonderful world of soccer stars 
gala collection <laughs> from 1971 and it genuinely is a thing of absolute beauty you can imagine being a tiny little kid getting this and sort of just the excitement at, at looking at it and opening up the stickers but Watford weren't in the top flight at the time this it only had full teams for the top flight teams and Watford were in the second division at the time they did have a second division star gallery I think it had two players from each two players from each second division side and it was Barry Endine and Stuart Scullion representing Watford in the uh, in the star gallery I'm sure Mr Endine and Mr Scullion would be uh, delighted to be labelled stars in that particular gallery and but what I really like about this um, really like about this picture stamp album you could send away if you're a supporter of a second division club for a full set of your team and it had 15 players on it but they weren't 15 different stickers it was one sticker one sort of big sheet, if you like, with all the with fifteen players on it. So it's slightly different from uh, from what we know now. Probably weren't quite switched on to the uh, uh, to the marketing skills that they could uh, eat more money out of uh, keen young and slightly older supporters back uh, back then. But yeah, you've got a sheet of all the players. But the one thing I don't like about this, ooh, is and it's kind of obvious, no shinies. I know. Well, you know, where where was printing in the in nineteen seventy one? Maybe the yeah. the glossy shininess wasn't wasn't possible. Um, Jason, in your in your world of uh, collecting stickers, what was a shiny worth? Was it double? or Was it even more than that? Oh, definitely at least double. I, in the uh, in the playground, they were they were very valuable currency. So if you were if you were looking for some particular players from a from a side, and your mate had a two or three of those available, you'd get your shinies out and. Uh, strike up a good deal and uh, try and get your your album completed quicker or closer to completion if your pocket money didn't stretch that far like mine. Yeah, the other thing, Mark, I don't know if you've seen the pictures uh, that were sent in by uh, Rod, but on the uh, d- second division players that were on there, there are a very young-looking Ron Atkinson and Terry Venables uh, on the uh, QPR. I can't quite know who Ron Atkinson would have played for. Hull City? Very Ox- yellow. Ox- Oxford, probably. Oh yes, yeah, it's yeah. not a very, it's not a very flattering picture of Terry Venables. We'll share these on uh, on, yes. on Twitter so people can see exactly what we're talking about. But yeah, there's not even a, no shiny. There's not even a um, there's not even a crest. The sort of details about the about the club there, uh, but no, but no, no shiny, no badge. But yeah, I'm not. I'm sure Terry Venables won't thank us for sharing it. So. Uh, Eltel, if you're listening, apologies, big man. So the first object going in the list at 21. 1971, the wonderful world of soccer star gala collection and the two massive stickers that were the entire Watford team. Object 22. Is one of the objects that, interestingly, when we first put this list together, the only time Watford have ever played in an FA Cup final. Jason, I know the answer's story. Jason, did you go to the 1984 FA Cup final? No, I didn't. I managed to go to the third round replay, the fifth round game at home, the sixth round at Birmingham, the semi-final at Villa Park, but I couldn't get a ticket for, for the 1984 Cup final. I was only 10 years old and I thought that it doesn't matter. There'll be another one round the corner soon. <laughs> and it took a little bit of time. It was such a massive, massive thing, the FA Cup final, not just for Watford, but every single year it was huge. And during the 1984 FA Cup, between the semi-final and the final, Benskin Brewery release a special FA Cup Watford bottle of beer. Now, I'm told that these things are not that rare. (laughs) Have you ever seen one, Mike? 
I haven't. I know a lot of people that have got them, and I think it probably was one of the most suggested uh, suggested items on the list, wasn't it? If not the most suggested uh, list. So I think there's a lot of them out there. But, you know, I don't think it makes it any less special or any less brilliant. I think the fact that there was a Watford beer out there, and again, it goes back to the, you can imagine the excitement at the time, can't you? If, it, if any of us were, were sort of a beer-drinking age at the time, we would have scooped up as many as we could and then would have kept them because uh, anything with Watford logo on it and the FA Cup final motif was was going to be getting grabbed and uh, and looked after. So there's definitely a lot of them out there. Just memories of an incredible time for Watford, weren't they? And a lovely thing to have on your uh, on your mantelpiece, if not in your wine cellar. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Sarah uh, Priestley at the Watford Museum says so she often gets people coming in or or phoning up saying, "Oh, have you got a Watford?" Uh, what for 1984 <laughs> Benskin's bottle of beer? Yeah, 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 we've got a few. Couple of uh, you're 10 years old, Jason, so you didn't have one of those while you were sat at home watching it? No, it's a bit late. I know, I know I was born in Watford, but um, not, <laughs> not, not, drinking, not drinking by the age of 10, no. What I do remember with the, with the Benskin stuff is that their, the sort of Benskin's logo was on a, it was like had a raised bit above it, like the edge of the, or the top of the penalty area and the D if that makes sense. All and right. that, they used to use that on some of their branding. And I saw, I'm sure there was like the cup final brochure that the club produced. They sort of made the Benskins logo into the penalty area on a football pitch. And that always sticks in my head. So that's what 10-year-old me was thinking about, not the bottle of beer. Who suggested this one to us then, Mike? It's a big thanks to uh, to Nick Corbell for this one. He emailed alongside a lot of other people, of course. But uh, but Nick summed it up very nicely with, with his email. Nick says, for me, it's got everything. There's the Benskins link. Benskins based in Watford. They used to own the ground, so big link there. The FA Cup final, obviously, it means a, a lot to everyone still to this day. And the fact that it's adorned a shelf in every house I've lived in since. And when Nick sent this in, he said it rem- serves as a reminder of better days. But, of course, we are, we're, enjo- we're enjoying better days since. Uh, and finally memories of the special promotion that Benskins ran at the time whereby they offered a free pint for every home goal scored that season absolutely extraordinary that can you imagine the take up on something like that these days if a brewery uh, or off license or anything offered a free pint for every goal Watford scored incredible wouldn't be that great this year we wouldn't not, not many hangovers <laughs> this year of course uh, but ever since both so yes thank you very much to uh, to Nick Corbell a really evocative item, that. The bottle of Benskin's Brewery FA Cup Special Beer is number 22. Object 23. Steve Terry's headband. Now, Jason, who who's Steve Terry? Because to people of our age, it, it's of course it's Steve Terry. But to people slightly younger, he might not be the sort of Watford player that's talked about in the same way of uh, other historical players from the 1980s and the first Graham Taylor teams. No, because he's a defender for starters. And I think people don't tend to give the defenders a recognition that they would do a, a striker or a tricky winger. And we had a, a few of those in the uh, in the great Watford side of the 80s. He was one of those centre-backs who was sort of pretty strong in the air, broke into the Watford side when he was young, one that came through the... Uh, the youth set up in those days benefited from Mr Taylor's vision of Watford and developing their own youth and it was Graham Taylor that gave him his uh, his start in the Watford side he was pretty strong in the air if I remember rightly uh, again we're sort of thinking about 10 year old me here and maybe a bit younger strong aerial presence but of course that would get you into trouble when you come up against equally big strikers uh, a few rough challenges different game in those days of course you don't get booked for the slightest touch and, and the strikers wouldn't fall over as much either they'd get stuck hmm. in as well and it was on one of those such occasions that, that Steve had a little accident. We caught up with Steve to find out a bit more about his headband. Was it technically a headband that you wore? 
not really. What it was, it was a bit of like, uh, I can't remember, it was called Sodi Grip or something, foam it was, and they used to get, the club used to get it for it because I got stitches against Norwich and I played the following week, so I was training as well, so I had about 14 stitches, so I wore this foam to protect it and I had to wear it for the next game, and it was still really sore for a couple of months, you imagine, because I was heading the ball as well with cut the stitches still in, so uh, I just kept on wearing it and in the end it became, just because my scar tissue on the forehead was so soft that I wore it to protect it, and every time I didn't wear it, I got a cut so I just become a habit and I just wore it it's not like the Steve Foster one which he wore and he had his hair long as well it was just the purpose was just to protect a cut really my daughters look back on some of the photos of their dad like now they look and think what the hell what do you look like you know <laughs> but it was just you know it was not no vanity then or anything so it was just done for a reason. If you yeah, had never took to wearing it around the house or anything like that in case you sort of banged your head on the... Uh... I used to, I no, it wouldn't work so I always do the top of my head, so, <laughs> I, so we used to live in a cottage and I always used to do it in my head anyway, so no. But, so no, the reason, because I probably still see slight faint scars there now yeah. and it's just, I must, I've been no good as a boxer because I've got sort <laughs> soft tissue around the forehead and stuff. Um, do you ever give one away, like for, for to fans, the fans ask for them? Not really, because you probably have found them on the pitch, because what happens, they used to come off and I used to put... Like take it off as I went off the pitch, and then um, put another. Just I used to have. They used to cut strips of it out for us. Put some uh, like balsam stuff, which dry your forehead. Because imagine at half time you're sweating. Before I went out, I dried it, and then they put some like so it'd stick and stay on. Yeah, you you were around the club at probably the, well well. It is the goal, it was a golden era, I suppose, of a club. What was it? How was your experience? Well, I was lucky to be at the club when you know I joined them when I was a young kid when I was about 12, 13 when they were in the fourth division. So following year I was like apprentice when they won the third division and then made my debut when I was 17 in the like championship and so you... and I played in the year we uh, got promoted which was 17, 18 I was so every time you're going up the leagues the Graham Taylor's looking at you to see if you can play in the you know different leagues so it's uh, it was like oh, good to go up but you thought well, is he going to keep me on here because we're playing uh, the top flight sort of thing now so and then of course then we went to Finished second in our first year. I didn't play. I only played sort of half a dozen games, and then uh, following year was like Europe, and then following year we got to the cup final. So it was always something going on. And then I think the last year I was doing it because I had to go over there. My last game was against West Ham, I think, and that's when Steve Harrison was uh, the manager. So I went through Graham Taylor, then Dave Bassett, who was the wrong person for the job, and then uh, Steve Harrison. Who sold me to give me a new contract and sold me to Hull? Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. So, <laughs> so I mean, as fans looking on, we'd imagine it to be a very, very exciting time for a player to go up through that. Uh, it was all mates because I come up with Kenny Jacket, uh, yeah. uh, Nigel, Barnsley. We were in digs together for five years, me and Barnsley, so we used to get up to mischief and stuff. But you know, nothing going out drinking. I think we never used to drink. Our, our bit used to be going to uh, Watford Town Centre for Wendy's or, or um, <laughs> okay. Burger King. That was our yeah habit. But you mentioned you mentioned the sort of worry about getting another a contract as Watford moved up through the division. So for the for the young players like yourself, was there a bit of apprehension? Well, there's a lot of turnover. Look, I see lads around. There, a lot of turnover of players who sort of played in the youth team and reserves who did go. And because we done better, I played maybe debut at Sunderland. We lost five nil. Actually, they, I didn't realise that I I'm the only player who played in two away games. Apparently, that lost both games five nil. It was 5-0 against Sunderland and we played in the League Cup on the Tuesday and we lost 5-0 again. So that's quite a good... Yeah, to lose 5-0 on your... I don't know if congratulations is... No, no, no. <laughs> that was a good start, wasn't it? Ten goals and none, none... Ten against none four, so... 
No, but it was like that. you go through it and it is just like you're all mates together and it's just, it was a good atmosphere, lads, you know. Probably not the best players, but we all worked, we trained really hard underground talent, so we were always the fittest side as well, so we always knew we could sort of run teams into the ground, which we did most of the time. We're here, we're interviewing at half-time here at Vicarage Road. Do you still get that feeling when you walk, walk into the place? Yeah, it's, stuff like it's still the same friendly atmosphere and everything. So I'm working, doing the PA and been over there. And the same stewards are still around that I was here when I am getting on a bit, some of them. But no, it's always family club, Watford. So you love coming back to... What I love about about that from uh, from Steve was uh, really fascinating to hear about the uh, the injury and what and what happened. It really is quite an iconic thing. If you think Watford in the eighties, I think Vico, Solvite, um, Vicarage Road, and that headband, that 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 bandage is something that that sticks out to me. But what I love from that little uh, little clip was uh, the thought of uh, of Steve Terry and John Barnes nipping out not for a few beers, but down to Wendy's or or Burger King for a burger. That was the sort of <laughs> height of their sort of naughtiness, if you like. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed that very much, and a pleasure to speak to Steve Terry. Object twenty four. Mustaches were huge. Beards are now huge and important. We've had some fantastic beards as Watford players over the last few years. But the moustache was the pinnacle of facial furniture in the 1980s. There could have been many. Jason, who particularly had a striking moustache for you? The most strikingest of moustaches, if there's such a thing, <laughs> would have been would have been Gary Penrice. He was he was the man. He was the man um, when it came to moustaches. There and there were others. There was Tony Coton was uh, quite memorable. But of course, the one that we're going to be talking about is Mr. Steve Sims, who also had some fantastic facial furniture going on. I've been watching during lockdown, uh, getting all nostalgic again. Some old big matches on uh, on BT Sport they did this thing big match revisited yeah and and there was a lot of Steve Sims in the uh, sort of mid 70s playing for Leicester City pre moustache he didn't look as good either facially or <laughs> as a player and i think the moustache brought a certain element to his game a certain command to Steve Sims game in the back four uh, as much as his footballing skills we spoke to Steve Terry. We asked his opinion about whose moustache should be put into our list of 100 objects. The other thing we're talking about from your era at the moment, well, not necessarily your era, but it might sound a bit trivial, but the best ever Watford moustache. It's got to be someone like Steve Sims, isn't it? Oh, someone like Steve well. Sims or Steve Sherwood had one. Who else was there? Tony Cohen's been brought up a lot. Tony Cohen, yeah, good, because he hasn't got one now. Malcolm Poskett? Yes. If you, if you had to have the deciding vote as a player, Steve, what, who would you go for if you had to decide on... Uh, I don't, for the thickness of it and everything, I think I'll go for Steve Sims one because he hasn't got a moustache now and he's sort of got no hair at all now, so you're probably quite glad to grow one like that again. But Simsy, because he looks completely different without it, you wouldn't know it was him. So, Tony, you you, know it's Tony, but Simsy, without that moustache, he's not half the man. Half the man (laughs) he is. Yeah, I think he's right. The the, the depth, you know, it it was a high moustache. It wasn't, I don't think, necessarily a pretty moustache. Not very well you know, manicured to have a, a certain style, but none of them really were. But it, it, was, it was large and it was, it was dense. And I think that's the biggest factor for me. And I think, I know you're saying, Jason, about Gary Penrice, but it just, I think it was just a little bit too, it wasn't big enough. No, absolutely not. You just need to look at a Google image search, Steve Sims Watford, <laughs> and all will become clear immediately. I mean... John, you're saying you think he's right. There's no think about it. Look, I mean, the thing is an absolute thing. It's magnificent. It's monstrous in all in all the best ways. It's huge. It looks, yeah, like you say, dense, thick, 
bushy, well looked after. I don't you like I know what you mean when you say not manicured, but he's obviously looked after it. He had a thick head of hair as well. He looks every inch the eighties footballer with this uh, with this tash, doesn't he? I think he's absolutely superb. And there were a few others, sort of Ian Bolton around that that era, a bit bit before then. But he had a, a, a slightly more sort of managed moustache, if you like, didn't he? Mm, and and mm. Like, yeah, I'm with you, John. I don't necessarily like those those ones. Certainly of that era. And then we had um, Paul Wilkinson was another one. He had quite a a more a more sort of sizable tash, didn't he? But I don't think anything comes close to Steve Sims. And while we've been talking, I've wondered who's the last Watford player to have just a tash? Anyone know? Mariapa? Yeah, I guess. Before the beard? Yeah, maybe. But anyway, yeah, Steve Sims moustache. It could be item number 23, 24 and 25, such as its uh, size and magnificence. Object 25 comes from what can it be heard as the greatest chant Watford have ever had. He played for Nigeria in two World Cups and then he got bunions and had to give up Ben. You're not going to join in? <laughs> no, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, you're doing a good job. <laughs> he played for Nigeria in two World Cups then he got bunions and had to give up Ben Irua. Oh, It's a classic. It, it, it's got all the elements of a great chant. It's one that you can join in. It's got it's got bits where there aren't actual words. You need to go, ooh. <laughs> you know, it's not an actual word it needs. Plus, it's to an absolute classic song that everybody knows. Who was Benaroa, Mike? Uh, well, he's, he was Nigerian international, of course, hence the, uh, hence the song about him playing in two World Cups. He played... Uh, in 1994 in the USA and in 1998 uh, in France for, for Nigeria. Watford signed him in 98 from, from LJ. He only played, and this was quite a surprise to me, he only played 10 games, so he never really got to see see much of him. And I think it's the most disproportionate number of performances to high-quality <laughs> terrace song possibly in footballing history. I don't know if someone has made less impact on the pitch, but has such a high impact on the terraces as uh, as Bunyan Bediroa. And it, it, I've only just really recently worked out what Bunyans are as well, and I sort of gustily sing that. This is the one Watford song I sing, If I Have a Few Too Many Beers, which happens on occasion. Uh, and I'm out with a few friends, and uh, they asked me to sing a Watford song. This is the one I, I sing. So I've been singing about bunions for for, well, for 20, 20 years now, and only recently <laughs> worked out what they were. And good lord, they sound and, and look painful. It's uh, pretty unpleasant. So yeah, he was forced into into early retirement um, in the in the early 2000s. So we didn't get much out of him from a from a footballing point of view. Um, but we've got a wonderful song. And for that, Ben, we shall always be grateful. We hope your feet are slightly less painful now. The thing I love about the most about it is the fact that it's absolutely factually correct. It's not just about where they're from. <laughs> he played for two World Cups. He played in France, 98. Started for Nigeria in a 3-1 defeat to Paraguay. However, that did put Spain out and Nigeria through. Uh, and then he also played in USA 94, where he played in the 3-0 win over Bulgaria. He played in two World Cups and he had to give up when he got bunions. It's all factually correct. So the only chant we're allowed <laughs> to put into our list, Bunyan Ben and his chant. Object 26. Object 26 is the Watford Parade Pond. Now, Jason... Have you ever been in the pond? No, either after celebrating a famous Watford mom, uh, moment or 
stumbling drunk out of kudos back in the 90s i have never ever been in the pond yeah i didn't think you were ever would have done it for footballing reasons but i thought maybe jason i've seen you drunk a few times i reckon that, <laughs> that's possible for you to to take a stumble uh on the way out of uh, kudos <laughs> or whatever it was called whenever you uh, anyone went there um mike it's 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 one of those things that actually you look you look at it and you think i've never done it i don't think i could would would ever have done it but it's something that always has happened when Watford fans, uh, Watford gets promoted uh, and Watford fans need a little bit extra something to celebrate, doesn't Plenty it? Plenty have been in, haven't there? There's that need for just that extra little bit of exuberance. I can never forget we were down in um, in Brighton when Watford got promoted and lucky enough to have the kids with us and, uh, and all the family. And uh, there was Watford fans stripping off in their entirety and just hooning straight into the into the sea no way of getting dry no way of getting themselves sorted afterwards and the kids just couldn't believe it they're like what on earth are they doing and it's just it's just that expression isn't it you have to do something slightly nonsensible just to just to mark the moment and getting in uh, there's probably nothing less sensible than uh, than getting into the <laughs> into the uh, into the pond in Watford parade i think it, we've been uh, advised on several occasions when Watford have come close to glory under no circumstances get under there, get into there. I think the council have actually issued warnings, haven't they? Do not get in there under any circumstances. But yeah, it's just that sort of football supporter thing, isn't it? You need to show how excited you are, I think. And uh, yeah, luckily over the years, there's been a few opportunities for, for fellow supporters to get in there, but nothing recently. And uh, luckily we were down in Brighton, so the uh, the sea took the brunt of it instead of the pond when we got promoted from the uh, from the championship. But uh, we found out a little bit about it, didn't we? I, which I, I really like. There's uh, one thing... I I like about it is as a friends of Watford Pond website. <laughs> yes, even as many times it's, it's changed. Um, do you know when it started, Mike? It dates back to pre eighteen hundreds, so it's been there a long, 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 long time. Um, and apparently, we're told it was originally used by Victorians for watering horses and livestock, which were bought from markets in in Watford. So yeah, originally it was like a drinking, drinking area for uh, for animals and uh, and livestock and then later used by uh, troops in the in the great war so it's had some um, pretty important uh, uses down the uh, down the years but i'd i dearly love to see it. i know we're not allowed to and i know we shouldn't but I would dearly love to see a round full of Watford supporters again one day. I know we shouldn't. Sorry, Watford Council. Sorry, um, sorry, important people. But it'd be great just to, uh, you know, thinking FA Cup final, getting back into Europe, something like that. What would it take, John, for you to get in that pond? Probably a tetanus jab. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look the cleanest thing in the world. So number 26 is the Watford Parade Pond. Object 27. Sounds a little like this. Which, in your headphones, I'm sorry if it sounds a bit bad. But, Jason, did you ever hear a rattle being turned and making a lot of noise at a Watford game? Do you know what? I don't think I did, despite my uh, my age. I think we need to speak to Colin about this. <laughs> see if he, see if, he heard, uh, if he heard a rattle at a game. Sorry, Colin. And we were getting all nostalgic earlier, weren't we? And we're probably going back even further with this uh, item of nostalgia. We had an email from Peter Morgan. I think my pre-1977 rattle deserves a place in the Watford in 100 objects, if not in the Watford Museum. It was hand-painted lovingly by me whilst my mother looked on in horror. (laughs) 
It was my pride and joy and I took it to all home games where, standing by the railings below the Schrodel stand, I would proudly make as much noise as possible without a thought of health and safety regulations. Regrettably, those same regulations now deem my rattle as a dangerous weapon, so it is consigned to my cupboard alongside my Vuvuzela. <laughs> what a lovely email. The Vuvuzela was horrendous, but I actually sort of think the rattle's even worse and it's good that they're not used anymore and it's good that Peter's isn't used anymore because then it can go in the list. You cannot have an item that's still being used. Oh, but, but it John. is a wonderfully beautiful thing. I think that's the one thing. It sounds terrible, but his <laughs> homemade rattle mic is beautiful it is beautiful it is such a item that just transports you back to that that era straight away and it was it was pre my football supporting days but we've all seen the the footage on tv of of kids and older people proudly swinging rattles around their head making as as much racket as they can and this thing again we'll put this photo on on twitter it is so evocative it looks it's battered bruised um well loved yellow and black bright it's got a big Watford sticker on it it's obviously seen so much much action in uh, in Peter's hand and I, I love it so so much and ha I know where you're getting at we can't be in the list if it was still being used but I would love to see these <laughs> make a, 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 a comeback at football grounds uh, like Peter says it's probably not allowed anymore just because they could be used to clock someone over the head um, but I'd, it'd be amazing to hear that you know 20,000 people with those wooden rattles it would be absolutely insane <laughs> um, I love it so much. It's such a beautiful looking thing. Um, it is a real football supporters. Relic's not the right word, but it's just such a lovely, lovely item. And I'm sure Peter, every time he looks at it, I'm not sure how many, if he does pick it up, if he's allowed to swing it around his head. Um, but every time he looks at it, the, the memories must must come flooding back. Just me looking at it, I can imagine it sort of takes you back. I love it so, so much. I think it's, uh, I think it's superb. Someone having a rattle and, and, and spinning it around their head is, you know, one of those classic yeah, black and white pictures is. from FA Cup ties. And it, it is very evocative of, of a certain era of football. But, oh, it's a nasty sound. <laughs> Object 28. The first edition of Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet fanzine. Mike, in many ways, these fanzines inspired us or, or, or gave us a, 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 a forward step to starting this podcast 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely, 100% they, they inspired me. And I, I absolutely loved these. I absolutely, I, I lapped them up. And the, and the reason being is because they provided a, you know, exactly what we're trying to do, to a fan's eye view of what it's like to to support Watford. And back when fanzines were around, the, the internet wasn't quite so prevalent. So there wasn't the, the wealth of information that, that was available and just getting other supporters' uh, viewpoint, often very comedic, often very acerbic, often sort of lovingly critical, just absolutely superb. And it just, for me, it's a massive part of uh, football supporter culture. And uh, we were very, very blessed as we are now. But back then we were blessed to have a lot of talented supporters who are A, willing to put the, put the time in, but B, also have had a lot of, um, of talent and were able to to create really really uh, a really really worthwhile uh, fanzine to, to read lots of laughs lots of fun not afraid to be to st stick the boot in when it was was necessary like us critical friend they only ever wanted the best for, for Watford but it wasn't a mouthpiece for the club by any stretch and yeah just having that fans eye view was was brilliant and I, I absolutely adored him and I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't be involved now if um, if it wasn't for those sort of things it was right up my alley right up my street 
One man who was a big part of several of the fanzines from the, the 1990s was Dave Messenger, who is the current supporter liaison officer. And I caught up with him to find out about, you know, why and what happened with all these fanzines for him and the team that sort of spent their time writing, printing and selling these fanzines. <laughs> If you want to be absolutely exact in your chronology, uh, Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet came around in the wake of Mud, Sweat and Beers. So Mud, Sweat and Beers was kind of first. And Matthew Bento, who's, if he's listening, hi, Matt. Matthew was the editor of Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet. And I think he always felt that Mud, Sweat and Beers took itself a little bit too seriously. It's a great read, but it took itself a little bit seriously. And he wanted Clap to be a bit more irreverent. And I think when I started writing for it, it was just really starting to, to sort of take a hold. It was about seven or eight issues in I think and I used to buy it every week on my way into the ground or every every time it was on sale and he, he was always in there you know Matthew would always be appealing for people that wanted to write something I just wrote something I can't m- even remember what it was now but just wrote something and sent it in and hey presto lo and behold he printed it as I went through my my fanzine career and became more involved in the editorial side I realized that it was no barometer of quality uh, because <laughs> Matt pretty much printed everything that he got sent but you know just at that first point in time I'm thinking to myself oh, this is great I'm 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 getting involved. I've written something, and it's been it's been printed. That's not a bad feeling. What was it that made you want to do that, though? Just you, you, fun, you like writing, or was it just the the desire to, to do it? Yeah, I just enjoyed it. And I'm 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 one of these people that I, I kind of breezed through school a little bit. I left at 16. I never particularly academic, and never really sort of pushed myself or anything like that. But I did get the taste for 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 writing and seeing things that I'd I'd written in you know in print. And I think as well. Um, you know, it's a couple of years out of school when I started writing. When I started writing for Clap Your Hands, and it, I just felt like I'd have a have a go at it. I used to read it all the time. I used to buy them all the time, and he, and, I, and I used to enjoy reading it. And and you know, as I say, Matthew was regularly appealing for people to write something, and I thought, well, I, you know, I, I like writing. I like reading this. Can I write it? Can I write this stuff as well? And, it, and luckily for me, and joyously, I found out that I did. There's lots of fans. In, we're putting in the, a copy of Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet. What are the classic features in in Clap? Most people would probably pull back and remember the Learn to Play the Watford way, which <laughs> was just such fun to write the what Learn to Play the Watford way. Every time we sat down to think about what we're going to put in the next one, it's like, what who are we going to who are we going to lampoon this week? And then the the Stickmen cartoons that we just yes. drew ourselves, which were just, <laughs> I think the stick the Stickmen cartoons of, of things. That if you if you if you're listening to this and you've never seen an edition of Clap Your Hands with a Learn to Play the Watford way in, then just treat yourself. It is a thing of absolute beauty. They are just they are the things I remember the most. The Learn to Play the Watford ways. They're the things we had most fun doing. I think some of the other things that we did in there the, the terrace cult heroes was always good for a laugh enjoyed writing about players the match reports again when later on when we when we sort of uh, got into league with uh, with colin payne at the yellow experience and then ended up merging the two fanzines to, to look at the start we kind of tried to move away from match reports and tried to make it a little bit more about the day and not just focusing on the game so but in those days at clap we we, we did fancy ourselves as reporters and, and we did fancy ourselves as hard-nosed critics of of Watford and the match reports were always fun to write as well yeah you mentioned Colin Payne there you know lots of the boys who must have been involved with that and and all the different fanzines over the years uh, are back doing it again with with the Watford treasury and in in what you'd like to say is a bit more of an adult mature way of of being a Watford fan in print I'm sure Colin wouldn't mind me saying this but it thrilled me actually to learn that he was getting back in the saddle and, and 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 doing something like that because Probably um, all the people that I was involved in fanzines with, and there's a lot of people that were, you know, 
were, were great and all the rest of it. But Colin's the one who's his passion for doing it and his passion for for writing about Watford and producing a magazine and standing in Vicarage Road and selling it to to people is just he he's the he's the he's the person beyond all other people involved that that was involved in the fanzines that, that stood out and it's brilliant to see him in back in the saddle and doing Watford Treasury. I think it's, a, it's an enjoyable read and it's a it's a great angle as well. Just focusing on the club's history again, taking it away from let's not talk about what's going on on the pitch that's being done elsewhere. You know the podcast is is the greatest way probably to keep up to date with the with the latest goings on on the pitch and there's plenty of websites and like you say everybody can put their opinion on Twitter these days and things like that so probably a really good angle to have something that focuses on the past but yeah of all the different of all the different fanzines over the over the years i think probably look at the stars was the one that i personally had the most have the most sort of um fondness for now because it was the one i was most heavily involved in clap your hands i was a, i was a writer look at the stars i did i got involved far more on the editing side i've done a bit of editing in clap your hands but not um, Matthew was the, the main guy there so great years it was a long time doing it as well as I worked out the other day it's four t- I did 14 years oh, wow. two fanzines that's a lot of wet Saturday afternoon standing in Vicarage Road while people walk past you and not buying the fanzine or come up to you and say the classic line is that the programme <laughs> and we, we, we toyed with it for years and we eventually did it in the 50th edition of Clap Your Hands Stamp Your Feet we just literally wrote it on the cover no this is not the programme <laughs> <laughs> we may have used a may have used a slightly fruitier word on there as well, but uh, I, I won't I won't darken your your wonderful podcast with such profanity. So thank you much, very much to Dave. Object number twenty eight is a first edition of Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet, Fancy. Object twenty nine, Kevin Miller's clean sheets. We spoke, Jason, earlier on how maybe Steve Terry wasn't a player that Watford fans, the younger Watford fans, won't remember, but particularly Kevin Miller is probably maybe one of the least famous Watford players that have got an item in this list. Who was he? Kevin Miller was a goalkeeper and he was a a goalkeeper around a time when things weren't going so great for Watford. He was sort of early, mid-90s. He probably stood out in terms of goalkeeper and ability because before him, we sort of, after David James left, I think we had the likes of... Simon Shepherd, Perry Digweed, yeah. Perry Suckling, and, and none of those kind of uh, uh, sort of rose to rose to fame in Watford goalkeeping ranks. So when Kevin Miller came along, he was he was pretty good. He was pretty good, uh, pretty good goalie. And uh, in 1995, he had this run of nine clean sheets. Or rather, the club had a run of nine clean sheets because he did miss one of them. Ultimately, eight of them. He was there, down to him pretty much he did have a couple of good central defenders in front of him i don't know if you guys remember colin foster yeah uh, yeah yeah. and keith keith millen would have been there around the time both quality center backs one sort of i think the latter stages of his career uh the other keith um went on to have a good few seasons at at watford and then beyond it was a, a strange old time performances hadn't been great in the early 90s i think season before we'd had the great escape season after we got relegated yeah this sort of stood out like a, a sore thumb because we we just missed out on the playoffs i think you're under clubbing it a little bit with with kevin miller i thought he was absolutely fabulous we actually sold him for 1.5 million quid i think which is pretty pretty decent business for a for a second tier goalkeeper back back then 
but I thought he was absolutely superb. He was a really, really decent keeper, and uh, perhaps his physique didn't lend himself to, uh, to to looking like one. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. But I, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He was one of my favourite favourite players while he was at the club. I think he was there for three years, played over 150 times, and I think he kept us in a lot of games. But what I love about this this run of nine games started the first game of 1995 as we turned the year it'd been quite a naff year I think up until then surprise surprise for the for the 90s nine clean sheets including and the one that Kevin Miller missed was Scarborough away in the FA Cup nil nil Kevin Miller might have missed it I didn't uh, and I wish I had good grief long 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 old way absolutely freezing uh, and nil nil brilliant brilliant is what it's all about isn't it the 10th game when we finally conceded was against Sunderland who at that time were absolutely appalling we were home to Sunderland I think we lost 1-0 eventually and what an absolute Watford thing that is to do you're on an absolutely blinding run no one can score against you for love nor money then you ship one against a team that's uh, struggling at the wrong end of the table perfectly Watford for me that we caught up with Kevin uh, a few years ago at the uh, what, at the London Selco Masters, uh, where he was a goalkeeper in a successful Watford winning team. Uh, to find out about his clean sheets. I think we had the nine clean, sheet, clean sheets in a row. I always remember the goal we conceded was against um, Sunderland on a wet night, and they were struggling. And it was probably one of the easier games we had, and uh, we got beat one 0 I remember that on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night down at Lincoln Road. Was there a bit where you kind of believe and you could beat a record? It was a club record at the time. Not really. I mean, you know, obviously it was, it's great to have, you know, no goals against and, and no little goal. I mean, Perry played in one of the games, I think, at Scarborough in the FA Cup. Um, I, remember that. I didn't fancy driving up that yeah, one for that one. I was ill that one. But um, I think the closer it got to the record, the more you became aware of it. I mean, we were just ticking over the results and, you know, we weren't going that great, you know, up for a while and we were struggling. But, um, got in a run and you know like you say it just comes with a little habit winning you know games and it was brilliant it was a great time object 30 the last one of this edition of our Watford and 100 objects Search for 100 objects that define Watford Football Club, be it a historic moment for the club, a special moment for you as a fan of the great Watford Football Club. But this is a team sheet, but it's a team sheet owned by Nick Cox. Why is he putting this in then, Mike? Uh, well, it's a team sheet for uh, Watford against Hartlepool in the uh, in the FA Cup in 2011. And of course, Nick Cox was uh, head of the academy at, at Watford. And this game was notable, a game that Watford won, I, I should point out. But it's the third round of the FA Cup. And of the 11 players starting that match, an incredible seven were academy graduates. So for the head of academy, you can see why this would be a, a red letter day and, uh, and something to be incredibly proud of. Now, of course, obviously Watford was struggling in, in a lot of ways, but uh, to produce seven professional footballers that you're able to pitch into the world's greatest cup competition and to come away with a 4-1 win is, uh, is really good. So, yeah, absolutely um, no surprise that Nick Cox has very, very fond memories of this game. Yeah, the team was Rene Gilmartin, goal, a defence of Adrian Mariapa, Martin Taylor, Lloyd Doyley and Dale Bennett. A midfield, Matty Wichelow, Pierre Mingoya, Ross Jenkins and Will Buckley. And up top, one Marvin Sordell and Troy Deeney. Mike caught up with Nick, who is now in slightly higher esteem uh, within the football industry. He is now head of academy at Manchester United to find out why he wanted to put this team sheet into our list and why it was possible for seven academy graduates to be playing in that game. 
the pressure was really on you guys then in, in terms of the academy, no money knocking around, no money to spend on players. It was all eyes on, on you for this organic creation of players. So let's forward wind to the game we're talking about, Watford v Hartlepool in the FA Cup. We have said what's special about this team sheet, this this team, this this squad really. It wasn't just the, the starting eleven because there was some uh, on the subs bench as well. But what was so special about this, uh, about this team, Nick? That was the most amount of academy graduates that we managed to get into a squad and on the pitch at any given moment in time during my my time there I wonder possibly potentially in the club's history actually I wouldn't know for sure but certainly during the period of time that we were there um, it was the most we managed to get on the pitch seven in the starting lineup and maybe 11 in the, the squad and some of those that were on the bench managed to get on the pitch as well um, so it was a pretty special day so let's put you on the spot again let's see if you can tick them off oh wow Okay, so Marvin Sordell and Piero Mingoya would have scored that day, I think. Yep. Potentially they started. If I try and think from back to front, uh, maybe Mary Apple was playing. He was, he was captain. Was Lloyd Doyley would have been in the team. Lloyd, he was playing, yep. We would have had, wow. Did Matt <laughs> Wichelow play that day? He did, he did. Did Dale Bennett play that day? He did indeed. Ross Jenkins? Ross Jenkins, so that's all the starting seven. I promise you I didn't do any revision there, it's just come to me. <laughs> and then um, substitute-wise, no, go on, you got the better of me there, you'll have to share the substitutes. So and Gavin Massey? Those lads. Oh, Gavin Massey, yeah, of course. Adam Thompson? Yes. Didn't Eddie O'Shoddy? And Sean, Sean Murray? I can't believe I've forgotten yeah. him. Just reading them out there and just listing them, seven on the pitch, four on the four on the bench, it's, it's an extraordinary accomplishment for you, you must have felt very, very proud. When did you realise that there was going to be that number of, of players featuring? Uh, probably the day before. Malky would have started to shape up the team with set pieces and, and maybe some patterns of play and kind of news starts to ripple that, wow, this looks like this is going to be his team. actually named the team till the following day, but it became pretty clear and there was quite a buzz around the training ground. It was quite nice actually at that moment in time because quite often when one young kid, at certain clubs, when a young player makes his debut, there's a lot of jealousy. But at the time at Watford it, there was this amazing celebration so if a kid was making his debut or someone getting was picked news would ripple around the canteen if he's playing he's playing it looks like he's playing so and I can remember that happening the day before that there was this real buzz a real special kind of camaraderie amongst the homegrown lads and also there was a real understanding I remember Aidy Mariapa was like a custodian for us he would educate the new players about this is how you treat the young boys around here because they're potentially at some clubs there might be a tendency to pick on the young lads, make life difficult, test mm. them out, see if you can make them demonstrate they're worthy to be in the team. But at Watford it was very much, no, you lot, you look after this lot, you help them, you, they are going to be the lifeblood of the club. So I remember Aidy Mariapa then was kind of a, more of a senior player and he would be educating Danny Graham and Will Buckley about this is how we treat the, the young boys. So. Yeah, it was, a, it was a real buzz. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. That's only a snippet of the interview that Mike did with Nick. Uh, the whole thing we're going to put out as a special podcast because it was just really a fascinating listen uh, to hear Nick talk about the youth set up 10 years ago at Watford and just how it was part of the club uh, and everything that was achieved uh, with the young players of Watford uh, in 2010-2011 when that team sheet was drawn up by Malky Mackay. Sort of looking at the, the lineup early and, and sort of looking at the graduates and saying they've all had very different careers and then you look at the four that are left and, and it's the same can be said of those guys. You had Martin Taylor who was an experienced defender. He'd had his time in the Premier League, almost dropping down a level I suppose to come and play at Watford. 
You've got Troy fairly early on in his Watford career at a time when perhaps the jury was still out on him. You had Will Buckley, who was looking like he was the one who was going to be the, the mm. shining light, the, 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 the new star in the making. I think media had spoken about him previously, about him being a future England star even. He had his sort of big money move to Brighton, but then after that, his star started to fade a little bit. And uh, we're saying he's now at Bolton, aren't we? I think he's at Bolton yeah, Wanderers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and still only 30. So you wonder if his career could have panned out differently. And then, bless him, you've got Rene Gilmartin, whose radio career took off fantastically uh, <laughs> about five years ago. Um, <laughs> but was what a, what a lovely guy. So that's uh, uh, the next 10 objects 21 to 30 in our list of 100 objects tonight we have put in a sticker album a bottle of beer a headband a moustache a bunion <laughs> a pond a very loud rattle a fanzine uh, a set of clean sheets and a match day team sheet if you have any other ideas if you have an item you would like to put into our list as several of you have already done you can get in touch via social media at what for podcast on twitter facebook and on instagram or of course you can email us podcast at from the we still need 30 items to complete our list what kind of things what 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 what, what are we missing mike in this list what what special events need to be represented everything that we've spoken of is brilliant and i keep uh, saying it reminds me of a, of a bygone age almost of uh, of watford we need stuff that's going to bring us bang up to date don't we something i don't know about mentioned brighton any something to do with promotion from the championship yeah yeah fa cup final 2019 anything around that that can be could be thrown in not quite the same quantity of tat uh, available that there was in uh, <laughs> back in 1984 and perhaps people not as minded to keep it this time round after the uh, slightly less close result that we uh, we sadly had to endure but yeah perhaps something Something more, I don't know, in the last decade or so. Something, Some things that are going to sum up the tumultuous times we've had as Watford fans over the last decade. There's loads and loads and loads to go at. It's, it's a great list already. We love hearing um, those suggestions that are coming in from, from listeners. So thank you so, so much for, for doing that. Thank you to everyone, of course, to continue for listening uh, during uh, during this strange period. It's great to, to have you along with us. But yeah, help us out. Come at anything. Nothing is off the table. Nothing is off the table at all. Plenty to go out let your imagination run wild uh, have a little rummage through your drawers have a look in the garage there might be something in there that could uh, be welcomed into Watford in 100 objects thank you very much for listening thank you Mike you're more than welcome I'm off to drink a beer read a fanzine in the uh, in the pond or at least daydream about doing that <laughs> and thank you Jason thank you I'm going to go and look at my Panini sticker albums again <laughs> oh that's going to be a great evening <laughs> uh, we're back again with some more podcasts and of course this weekend Manchester City will be visiting Watford in our main believe live commentaries to finish off this season which colin is doing amazing work in his mind thanks again and come on you all